Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Gen Zero Podcast. I'm Sean. And I'm Doug. And what movie did we watch this week, Doug? Uh, we watched the third Pokemon movie, uh, Secrets of the Unknown. And what was the short? short was Pikachu and Pichu. Pikachu movie 2001. Uh, did you see this one in theaters? Uh, I did, in fact. Okay. And it was the last Pokemon movie released in theaters. Right, yeah, they the rest of them were just straight to DVD. Or VHS, VHS yeah. Alright, you want to just hop right into the, the Pichu short? Might as well. Okay. Um, well, it opens on what, a scene of Ash and everyone going to a rooftop of yes. some random building. In some random unnamed city. Kind of remind me of the rooftop that uh, the Hypno Society was on. Ah, yeah. With the Hypno and Drowsy. I just watched that episode a little while ago. It's a really weird episode. But uh, the first thing we see is something that disproves your theory from the first episode. We see a bus, and then later we see a whole shitload of cars. Ah, about wheels, about tires. Yes, so we know where all the tires come from. They actually have a place. Um, I'll bring that up again. You just wait. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and while they're going up the elevator, Pikachu actually sees the two stray Pichu just running across the rooftops. And I wanted to ask, do you think... They could have been replaced by Plessel and Minin, and it would have been better. I don't believe Plessel and Minin were this gen yet. No, they didn't exist, but I think they suited the kind of brother thing better than just two Pichu. Uh, well, yeah, because they're two separate Pokemon. Yeah. But at this point, you know, baby Pokemon were the biggest big deal at that time. Oh, God, do they show that later. Oh, it's like an exposition of little baby Pokemon later yeah. on. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So... Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. It was two Pichus, but yeah. I mean, Plusle and Minin show up in the Deoxys movie, so we'll get to talk about them more. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you, do you know if there's any games with like Pokemon encounters actually in cities? Because there's a lot of straight Pokemon in this movie inside the city. Outside of fishing, I really don't think there are many. Yeah, I know in uh, Black and White 2... At least there's one where there are patches of grass inside the one city, like the second city you go to. Yeah, I could think of things like that, but I don't think there are like just flat out Pokemon encounters inside yeah. of cities. Okay. Unless I guess you include the burned mansion in Cinnabar. Right. Because that's technically in the city. Yeah, I don't think there's any like actually on the road encounters yeah. though. Oh, and here we hit Gen 2 proper, as Ash has Cyndaquil, Totodile, and Chikorita. Like, we actually get the Gen 2 starters in this one. Yeah. Um, and Brock has his uh, Pineco, and right. I believe that's the only Gen 2 he has. I don't believe Misty has any at this point. Well, except for Togepi, but everyone forgets Togepi. Oh, oh yeah, because <laughs> Togepi was there before, way before Gen 2. Yeah. So then Ash tells all of the Pokemon that they'll be back at a certain time, alluding to the fact that Pokemon know how to tell analog time, which is kind of weird. In concept, yeah, but I mean, they're semi—they're at least partial sentient enough to so yeah. think they would be able to learn. At least because he pointed to a bell tower, they would know when one arrow points to another thing. Yeah. After that, Pikachu sees the Pichu again, and they kind of start talking. The one goes out on like this rebar ledge or whatever, and freaks out his little brother. And while that's happening, Pikachu is going out on like a flagpole. And then a bunch of Murkrow show up and start pecking at Pikachu, because they're assholes. Well, to be fair, the Pichu brothers were also being assholes to Pikachu throughout. 
most of the beginning. Yeah. You know, be making faces at him and such across the way. Yeah. Um, then we get one of, I think, three uh, Meowth appearances in this episode where he's window washing. Yeah, Team Rocket seems to now be hiring out their Meowth <laughs> to do odd jobs so they can afford to live. Yeah, that's really weird, especially considering that he's a Pokemon. And he, once again, he doesn't seem to serve a real purpose in this movie. Like, no. Even less than the previous movies. I yeah. Mean. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, at least in the last one, him and Pikachu kind of have it out. Pikachu electrocutes Meowth. And in this one, I think he just falls onto his window washing station and then falls off. Off, yeah. He could have been replaced with anything. Yeah, he, he didn't even him. have to be there. Yeah. And while Pikachu's falling, he gets saved by a bunch of Hoppet <laughs> who don't give a fuck. To be fair, those Hoppet are part of the reason he fell, because they were bumping into the Murkrows, too. Yeah. They're just floating by, just bumping into whatever they want. They don't care. Pikachu does a little platforming section where he jumps from Hoppip to Hoppip until he reaches Meowth's little uh, window washing station. But after that, he eventually makes it to the other side, into the other building where the Pichu are, and they tell him that they know a way back to the... The other building, which is across the street. Now, would the simple solution be just to go down to the bomb floor, go across the street, and then up the elevator again? Correct. But they don't do that. Well, I mean, they. I think they try... Oh, no, no, no. They, they do kind of try to. They go down the vents, all Metal Gear style. I thought it was very Metal Gear-esque. Uh, they go, and then they land on the elevator on top of it for whatever reason. And I don't know how they actually land on the bus after that. Like, do they go out a window or something? I believe they did. Yeah, it was it's really, kind of, like, the cut between the elevator and them being on the bus was kind of weird. But you know what? This one actually at least did not have any strange transitions like the previous ones. Yeah, the only kind of weird thing was when, later on, when they meet all the Pokemon. But that was actually better better done than any that other. That wasn't a transition, per se. Yeah. I mean, that was just an, an introduction, I guess. Yeah, yeah, there are no trippy-ass transitions in this movie. Or also, this... no... Uh, theme song to begin it with. No, that actually starts at the beginning of the movie proper, that theme song. But a, that's the Johto League theme song Yeah, anyway. that's the actual for the movie, yeah. but like, we had Pikachu's Vacations theme, right? and we had the one from The Rescue. Yeah. And they both started with a music number. Yeah, I guess after the music flop of the last one, they just decided not to even have one in this one. Yeah, after they land on the bus, Pikachu kind of starts freaking out because they're not going in the right way, but the Pichus don't seem very phased by this. Um, how do they end up in the water? Like, they, they, they're they on the bus, and then they fall into the water somehow. You know what? I don't actually recall how they fell into the water. Yeah. Maybe they just hit a sign or something, but I don't remember either. They like, just, I don't... Or maybe they hit a bump or something. We, Yeah. I guess we weren't paying enough attention. I think I was writing down that they were on the bus when they fell into the water. So. I remember Pikachu paddling after. And so yeah. they're in the water. Yeah. Trying not to get hit by the Lapras fairy. Yes, there was a Lapras boat, which I thought was pretty freaking cool. Um, and then a Gyarados shows up in this little, like, river that goes under this bridge in the city, which I thought was pretty crazy. You really wouldn't want a, a Gyarados in your freaking town's river. That's the nature of Pokemon. They go wherever they want their Pokemon. Yeah. You gotta stop a, a Gyarados from going in your river. I mean... You can catch it, but... It's like having tall grass in front of your yard, you know? Yeah. It's only a Pokemon. That's why you got mowed every week. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
after they get out of the river, which also I missed, <laughs> um, they get chased by a houndor. And they en- end up getting chased down a back alley and get cornered. And Pichu, both Pichu attack the houndor. And we find out that whenever Pichu attack each other, they hurt themselves. To be fair, I already knew that from Smash Brothers, but... Right. I thought that was kind of a weird evolutionary trait. Well, they're baby Pokemon. They don't know how to handle their electricity yet. That's fair enough. Um, Once they become Pikachu, then they... Figure it out. I wonder if Pikachu proper was ever Pichu. Like the Pikachu that Ash has? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure he was at some point in time. I mean, unless it's like... No, because you don't need an incense to breed a... Pikachu. Or a Pichu. A Pichu. Unlike Snorlax, which, you know, can give birth to Munchlax or, or Snorlax. Snorlax. Yeah, or uh, Pseudowoodo, I think. Yeah, which is... Yeah, I mean, Pokemon weird, breeding yeah. is weird to begin with. <clears throat> Speaking of Snorlax, though, uh, the Pichu brothers and Pikachu eventually evade Houndor by jumping over the fence onto a Snorlax's belly. Houndor tends to, or tries to follow, and the Snorlax turns on its side. Houndor falls under it, and then Snorlax lays back on top of it, which I thought would have killed that thing. <laughs> Uh, it's a thousand pounds laying on you, yeah. Yeah. But I like the fact that Snorlax was doing what Snorlax was meant to do, because he was totally blocking the alleyway. Yes, he was. He no was one was getting path. through that path. Not the side of Poke Flute. <laughs> um, that's where that we meet up with the the Pichu Playhouse, as I called it. It was oh, just like a pretty good name. A jungle gym for a bunch of orphan Pokemon, I guess, or just wild Pokemon. There were so many tires. Yes, that place. There was an obscene amount of tires. I don't care what you have to say about that. That was a lot of tires. I mean, that playhouse was 95% tires, and the rest was gears. There were a lot of gears inside that place. And they were all moving. I'm I'm curious to what they operated. (laughs) The tires. They kept the tires afloat, I guess. Uh, No, they kept that uh, the little Pidgey clock. At the very top, moving. That's all, all it was. There, there was a lot of gears for a tiny Pidgey clock. Um, but, yeah. yeah, this is where we get our baby Pokemon yeah. like, Clef, showcase, uh, as well as a whole bunch of regular Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, I have written down at least 20 were introduced in this little section where they're bouncing around inside the playhouse, outside the playhouse, and it's just like, all the baby Pokemon. You got Magby, you got Cleffa, you got... Igly Tough or Igly Buff, you got Smoochum, Smoochum, uh, Hitmontop, all of them. And I mean, Peaches were already there. Also, Shuckle. <laughs> and Smeargle, your favorite Pokemon. And Smeargle. It's almost as good as Kecleon. <laughs> um, uh, and then a different clock, the clock tower chimes, and everyone's like, alright, we gotta go. After this little dance number, we all have to leave. And Pikachu and the Pichu brothers start to leave as well, but Houndor shows up again and kind of do a chase through the whole playhouse. Destroying everything. <clears throat> yeah, wrecking the whole thing. Uh, and it starts to fall, but uh, I think Houndor puts its head under it and starts to hold it up, and Pikachu grabs the rope to hold it up. But that's not enough, so the Pichu brothers call everyone back, and they all come back. Really quickly, too. Yeah, they didn't make it very far. And everyone starts fixing it, but it almost topples over because, like, it's held by one tower of tires at this point. All tires. Yeah. I don't care what you say. All tires and gears. 
Yeah, it, it almost starts falling over, but Houndor puts a tire between the, the wall and its toppling. Eventually it gets fixed. Did you see where they were pulling all the new tires from? No. They were pulling them from windows from the buildings. So they're just stealing people's tires. Out of buildings somehow. I don't know. Maybe maybe they're decoration in the Pokemon world. I don't know. Decorative tires. You know what? Maybe it's next to a tire factory. We don't actually know what's next to it, so it could be a tire factory. I'll give you that, but there were still far more tires <laughs> than there should have been. There were a lot of tires. And yeah, Pikachu's like, oh shit, I gotta get out of here. So he starts running away, and Pichu brothers show up in a tire. Of course. So yeah, they do the whole, you know, running inside of a tire, going down hills and stuff. This is where we see our second Meowth appearance, where he's completely inconsequential. Uh, and then Pikachu makes it back up the elevator in time, and uh, he says goodbye to the Pichu as uh, the day is coming to an end. And then Ash has a surprise for Pikachu inside the mansion on top of the building or whatever, and he he's it's a a party for his anniversary <laughs> of meeting Pikachu, which you had pointed out. It, the day Ash met Pikachu, it was Ash's birthday. Sure. Ash is throwing himself a birthday party yeah. without telling anyone. Misty and Brock might have known that it was his birthday, and he just said that to Pikachu because that's, that is a thing that happened. I mean, it's the anniversary that they met. But this also means that Ash is at least 11 or 12 at this point because you start at 10, right? Uh, yeah, in the original Pokemon you start at age 10. So, yeah, he's at least 11, admittedly, by his own admission. Well, I guess he didn't actually say it was his birthday party, but still. It's still his birthday. It's the day he met Pikachu. Oh, I wanted to mention, I, I said last week that uh, the last short seemed like a Pokemon showcase. And I think that's a running theme with these shorts, is that they're designed to show off Pokemon. Because I was thinking that in the movies, you don't really see that many... Pokemon. I mean, in this one, there was like 10 different Pokemon total in the actual movie, in the entire movie. So, if you go to the big screen, you kind of want to see all your favorite Pokemon on the big screen. So, this is kind of a way to show them all off without actually having to put them in the movie. I, I can understand that. Uh, and that's pretty much it. So, we'll move right on to the, um, the movie now. Okay. So, this movie opens with a lie. Oh. Uh... The father's reading his book, the the storybook to Molly, and the first thing he says is, this book talks all about legendary Pokemon, and unknown are not legendary Pokemon. That is true. In fact, there's a whole area specifically dedicated to unknown. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and legendary kind of denotes one of a kind, at least in this universe. So we should start off with introducing... The two main characters for this, or at least this part, uh, Molly and Spencer Hale. We don't get their names till a little bit later, but uh, Spencer is a Pokemon professor specifically interested in the unknown. And legendary Pokemon. And legendaries, yes. Um, and Molly is his daughter, obviously. And at the very beginning of the movie, he's reading her a storybook about unknown and Entei. And... Molly compares Entei to her dad, saying that he is a lot like Entei. 
So he pretends to be Entei and gives her a piggyback ride throughout her little room. And we get a nice little shot of her room, which has a uh, Don Fan slide, which I thought was pretty freaking cool. I would like to get <laughs> one of those. And a uh, Teddy Ursa and Fanfi doll. And a ponytail rocking horse. Yes, and a ponytail rocking horse, which he rides. Um, and he gets an email from a guy named Skyler that they found new information about the unknown. And he has to leave right away. And obviously Molly's not happy about this. And we cut to that scene where he's in the desert. Do you think that was the Alf ruins? I don't know. It kind of more so reminded me of, like, at least the desert. It reminded me more of, what was it, Pokemon Coliseum, Shadows of Dark, Gale of Darkness, or whatever mm. it was, where it was a desert region. Okay. Because I, there was no real desert in Johto. No, no. The, the Alf ruins were, like, right next to a town. Yeah. So, yeah. But I'm I'm probably just going to call them Alpha Ruins anyway. Because, it's where the unknown are. Yeah. Um, Not yeah. so legendary. No. And then they're scouting out around. They find um, unknown engravings on the walls, and they kind of can't really figure it out. Then they find a set of unknown tiles, which makes me really, really want a Scrabble game of just unknown characters. It would be really cool. It's kind of a shame they haven't done that, featuring they've merchandised almost, like, everything else for Pokemon. Yeah, there's a Pokemon Monopoly and all that. I mean, there's a Monopoly of everything, so... Yep, and after dropping the box of Scrabble tiles, um, Spencer gets transported into the dimension of the unknown, and Skylar is left to break the bad news to the butler and Molly. Or do you think that was her lawyer? I think that's the butler, like okay. her attendant. Yeah, because he does show up again near the end of the movie. Yeah, the, the unnamed butler. He, he is he is the Alfred to her Batman, I guess. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, she's an orphan at this point. I don't think it's mentioned yet, but also Molly's mother is missing. We should probably mention that because... Oh, yeah. She, she's an orphan because her mother has mysteriously vanished before... Which is not explained. Yeah. At least in the English version. Yeah. Um, and in her grief, Molly decides to kind of look over her dad's research. And while doing so, she finds the Scrabble tiles. And she figures out that the unknown are just letters before I think anyone else does. It's kind of astounding that, what is she, like a five-year-old girl can yeah. figure this out without... Any problem yet? Scientists who have been researching it for years? Well, I think it's kind of... I, I don't know. I was going to say that the tiles probably helped a lot, maybe. And they didn't get to research them yet because they just found them. So that might have helped. But also, it's kind of one of those things where if you're looking at it too hard, you kind of can't see it for what it really is. So you need a fresh eyes on something. I suppose. She spells out Mama and Papa using the unknown Scrabble tiles, which activates the unknown. Actually, she also cries on them, which is a really powerful thing in the Pokemon universe. Yeah, and then inside the Alf ruins, the portal opens, and all the uh, unknown flood out, and start turning her mansion into a castle made entirely of crystal. And I was going to ask if this was an allusion to the Pokemon Crystal games, but then we looked it up and found out that the game came out in December of 2000 and the movie came out in July of 2001. So it, it still might have been a little nod to the Crystal games. 
And after this point, uh, they summon fake Entei to be her daddy. She really wants her dad to be Entei. Or Entei to be her dad. Either way. Either way, yeah. And then we get the terrible CGI intro. That It's just awful looking. It really is. Uh, the font they used really reminded me of Outer Limits. Yeah, yeah. At first, it kind of, like, the, the song and stuff felt kind of like X, X-Files or Twilight Zone or Outer Limits. And then the font kind of just hammered it home. But they were definitely trying for a Matrix thing with the unknown letters in the background. Yeah, that was also weird. I mean, this came out in 2001, so, I mean, Matrix was kind of big in that early 2000s era, so. After the credits, we start with uh, Ash encountering a another trainer, who turns out to be named Lisa later. And I have their, their fight uh, completely written down here. Uh, mm-hmm. It starts off with Granville versus Totodile. Uh, and apparently Totodile was in a lore ball. I never really um, watched the Johto League, so... I've watched very little of Johto League, so I can't really tell you when he caught each one. Right. But it makes sense. I mean, Totodile is a water Pokemon, so... Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're in Johto, so you got to use, you know, the apricorn balls right. while you can. Um, and then we have Chikorita versus Graffarig. Um, Ash is Chikorita, obviously. And then we have... Uh, Lisa's Apom versus Ash's Shiny Noctowl. It's the first introduction of a shiny Pokemon in the movies, at least. Obviously, he caught that during the Johto League. Then we get a Butterfree versus Ash's Bulbasaur. Cyndaquil versus Lisa's Mankey. And then Lisa sends out a Quagsire, and Ash decides to fight it with his Pikachu. (sighs) Which, at least credit to the movies, it's better than when Ash fought Golem. With Pikachu, and it actually worked. Quagsire is completely unaffected by the electric attack. And then headbutts Pikachu. Or no, Pikachu and Quagsire headbutt each other. Then they just have like a little chat. Like a little table side lunch chat thing. Where um, Lisa explains where the nearest Pokemon Center is. Which is over the mountain in Greenfield. And apparently Misty knows where uh, what Greenfield is all about. Apparently everyone knows what Greenfield is all about. Yeah. And Supposedly. Like, okay, let's all go to Greenfield. So they head up the mountain to Greenfield, and when they get up to the top of the hill, they see the giant crystal flower that has become most of the Greenfield. Um, this is where we see Team Rocket for the first time. They kind of really are inconsequential at this point, but they're less annoying than the last movie, I feel. They seem to be exceptionally inconsequential throughout this entire movie, honestly. Yeah, uh, they only have one part where they really interact with the main cast, and that's when they're saving Ash really close to the end. Yeah. They're less offensive to listen to in this one than they were in the last one, at least for me. Then we get a shot of the flowers starting to crystallize in the fields. The crystallization is slowly encroaching on the town. And then we get a shot of the news reporter reporting on... The uh, crystallizing happening. And Ash's mom sees this. And apparently she knows Spencer Hale. Um, And so does Oak. Well, obviously Oak would know him because he's a professor too. But uh, apparently Spencer had come to Pallet Town. And they had been there for a while. Yeah, they got to know each other. Yeah, they had their family and Ash's family had known each other. Yeah, as evidenced by a picture on Ash's mom's refrigerator, I think it was. I think it was on the fridge. Showing Ash's mom, Ash, Oak, Spencer, Spencer's wife, who never actually gets a name, I don't think. No. 
As far as I can remember, they don't name her. Yeah, and Molly. Oh, and then we get a shot of Oak watching the news, and then he talks about the unknown, and we get to see a bunch of unknown on his computer, but a lot of those are wrong. Like, if you look at the B on his computer, I'll have an image up later, but if you look at the B, it's like an oval with two circles next to it. It's really weird looking. Also, Tracy. Oh, yes, Tracy is there, and he... uh, He's not there for very long. He makes a small cameo at, at this Too point. Too long. <laughs> he makes a small cameo at this point and at the end of credits. And then we get a cut back to the Pokemon Center, which is weird looking because you, it, it's not like the Pokemon Centers even in any of the games. No, it's kind of like just a log cabin with a very small P at the very top tip yeah. of the roof. Like Very not noticeable. Yeah. Then Oak and Ash's mom show up, uh, which is a lot quicker than the last movie where they had to take a helicopter. All the way to the Orange Islands, yeah. yeah. Well, to be fair, Joseph's a lot closer than the Orange Islands. Yeah. And a lot and, easier you know, to get to, at least. Palatown is pretty close to the transition point between Kanto and Jojo. Yeah, that the Indigo League, basically. I mean, yeah. It's a lot easier to get to. This is where we get the explanation of Spencer's wife disappearing, but we don't get any reason. No. And after that, um, Molly asks Entei for a mom because he because she thinks that Entei is her dad at this point. She calls him Papa and everything, so she wants a mama. So Entei decides to run out and get Ash's mom. Yeah, we should mention at this point that even though she secluded herself in her giant crystal flower mansion thing, mm-hmm. Molly still has her computer running and is currently watching everything the news is broadcasting. Right. Hence how she saw Ash's mom. Right. Uh, Which I thought was pretty cool for a laptop. I mean, a laptop with a freaking TV card in it to catch the news. Because I don't think freaking the news was broadcasting over the internet at this point. No, no. Pokemon technology. (laughs) That's true. And, yeah, Entei runs off to catch uh, Ash's mom. And Pikachu starts sensing him when he gets closer and gets really uh, upset. But it doesn't really help because fake Entei shows up, catches Ash's mom, and just kind of takes her off. So he does exactly what regular Entei does, minus, you know, capturing people. Yeah, yeah, he just runs away like he like he always does. Pikachu tries to stop him by latching onto his tail, but that lasts like all of three seconds until he gets thrown off. And I had, I thought at this point that um, if all Molly had was that one group picture. She might have been mistaken Ash's mom for hers, but then we see later on, or we probably see it earlier than this, but we see a single picture of Molly and her parents, so she would have known better. But to be fair, she is, once again, like five. Yeah. Uh, we get another shot of the crystals growing, and Oak kind of explains about Entei, because they just saw it for the first time, and we get a pretty cool series of Entei pictures on Oak's computer at this point. And then Ash decides to, obviously he wants to go after his mom because... It's Ash. Well, it's Ash and it's his mom. I mean, who wouldn't want to try to save her? Ash probably has the best chance of anyone in that group to actually do something about it. Then we get cut to a scene of the Charizard Valley. They are also watching the news. Yeah, they're watching the news because apparently that's all you really do in the Pokemon universe is either battle or watch the news. And Charizard sees Ash in trouble somehow. Because, yeah, this was right after 
Ash's mom got taken. They showed that on the news. And Charizard's like, okay, well, I'm going to go help. Oh, yeah, that's right. The cameraman did absolutely nothing to help. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we that I, day went right by the news anchor and the cameraman while was... carrying Dahlia. And just completely ignored us. Keep recording. Then they try to send a bulldozer through the crystal. But Molly sees this, gets pissed off, and sends a giant spike of crystal to stop it. To be fair, it was working. Yeah, it was. It was destroying the crystal until Molly figured it out. And then we get, after that, we get kind of a scene, or just a weird filler scene that I felt of Molly on top of Entei just kind of circling the bedroom like uh, she did with her dad. But the reason I bring this scene up in particular is because there's this, a, a split second where you see Ash's mom and she's just kind of, she's kind of watching it, but she's kind of not. And it's just like a three second clip of her, like with her eyes kind of glazed over because she's hypnotized. Just kind of staring at off to the side, and then she kind of slowly turns her head and looks directly at the screen, and it's super fucking creepy. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah this is where Ash finally decides to go after his mom, and obviously Misty and Brock are like, okay, we'll come with you. Lisa gives Ash her poke gear so that they can stay in contact, which I'm kind of fine. Uh, I kind of think that's weird that uh, Ash didn't have poke gear for himself at this point. And then we... Uh, Team Rocket follow, um, and they all end up in this, like, little river that leads to a waterfall coming out of this crystal thing, and Team Rocket have this weird walking-slash-waiting argument. Oh, no. It was a joke. I'm wrong. Uh, They're not walking. They're They're in their balloon. Yeah, they're in their balloon, and they see Ash and the group walking through the, the stream. And that's where they have their walking slash waiting argument. It reminded me very much of Abbott and Costello jokes. Yeah. About essentially who's on first. Yeah. If they're walking, walking. they can't be waiting, but they're walking and they're waiting. But, but you said they're waiting and they can't be walking. But after that, Entei kind of thinks this joke is shitty too because he attacks their balloon. And they have one of the, one of the funniest moments Team Rocket has is at their expense. They start to do their Team Rockets blasting off again joke. But they only get the phrase Team Rocket out, and then they slam into the side of the crystal. And, yeah, then they're actually inside the building, or at least inside the the crystalline structure. Because they're sitting on these, like, crystal spires that are coming out. And they're like, oh, how could we get down? And Meowth says, well, it'll take about three seconds if we jump. I thought they were pretty unusually funny in this, this one. Like, they usually do really bad puns, but this time it was actually pretty good. Yeah, it, they were a lot better in this, uh, but they, they were still, I guess they're there as comic relief. I yeah, mean, that's that's solely their purpose. And, and, I la- mean, last two, they were there for transportation, they were actually yes. of use. Yeah. This one, they're strictly more or less comic relief. Yeah, yeah, which is weird, because I, I think I would be more pissed off that they're just there for filler, basically. But I like them better in this movie than the last two combined, probably. Except for the, the Swedish... Vikings. So yeah, Ash and the crew make it to the little waterfall thing and decide to use uh, Chikorita and Bulbasaur to get up. And then the reporter ruins everything by recording this and Molly sees it. But also, Ash's mom sees it too. And this is where she starts fighting the mind control because she sees Ash and she's like, oh, that's my kid. I'm not this chick's mom. That scene is very reminiscent of Team Rocket getting into uh, Mewtwo's fortress right, through in the, the first movie. Through the uh, sewers. It's just that small climb up that shallow waterfall. It seems to be a very common way to get in, getting into places in Pokemon. Yeah. But they do make it in eventually, and they find this sweet crystal gazebo. 
It had fast healing. You can't defeat the gazebo. Yes. Yeah, they try to uh, burn a hole through it with, uh, what, Cyndaquil. Just Cyndaquil. And um, it closes up way too fast. So what they do is they use Cyndaquil and Vulpix to burn a hole through it. And then they use Totodile and Starmie, yeah, to blast water into it. Star you. Star you, right. I always get those two mixed up. To keep it open using water gun. And then they jump inside the water torrent to get through. It's actually rather clever of them. Yeah, yeah. Given how intelligent Ash seems to be sometimes. Yeah. And actually before that, Oak gives them a call and tells them that the unknown have the ability to read minds and create alternate realities. After they get into the gazebo, they get into this weird extra dimensional space, which is the alternate reality Oak talked about. Where it's just like a flight of stairs leading up to a crystal butthole. <laughs> uh, I crystal mean, buttholes. you think we're joking, but if you look at that thing, that's all it is. And when they get to the top of the the stairs, they find this like big open grass field with another set of stairs leading up. And then we cut to Team Rocket again, where they meet the unknown for the first time. They actually find the like the unknown power core, which is essentially somewhere in the castle. They're all, like, swirling in this spherical thing with this energy in the center, which I guess is powering the whole fantasy world. Meowth likens it to alphabet soup without the soup, and James says, it doesn't matter, we're still in hot water. And then we get one of the best lines that Team Rocket has ever said. I mean, better than the James questioning his own sexuality in the last movie. James says, I haven't seen this many strange letters since the last time I placed a personal ad. It was probably one of their best jokes. Yeah, if not the best joke they've done so far. You think this is better, or do you think the Swedish racism was better? Uh, not being racist, I think this one was better. Okay, fair enough. And at this point, Molly decides that she wants to be a Pokemon trainer too. So, so she... yeah, Entei transforms her into an older version of herself. They create a dream version of herself. That's true, yeah. Molly, not... the actual Molly, decides she wants to be a Pokemon trainer, so then she goes to sleep. Yeah. Yes, that's true. <laughs> like, I want to be a Pokemon trainer. <sighs> when she's riding the Entei as Dream Molly, she's still young. And then she gets transformed into an older version because she believes that you have to be older to be a Pokemon trainer. At least older than four. And this scene specifically with her riding on the Entei's back as the older version kind of reminds me of that the image in the storybook. Yeah. Like, it's more it's more of a fairy on his back, but with the, like, the flowing, like, jacket she has, it really looks like that that image. Uh, and then older Molly meets up with Ash, Misty, and Brock. And I noticed something really cool here. Uh, Molly is the older version of herself, and Brock doesn't hit on her. Because he realizes pretty much instantly that that was Molly. So we have concrete proof that uh, Brock isn't a pedophile. <laughs> because he he's the first one to see that it's Molly, and he um, he explains it to Ash and Misty. Yeah. And then he challenges to her to a duel. To stall for time. Yeah, to stall so Ash and Misty can make it to uh, Ash's mom. In this duel, we see Molly use three different Pokemon in her own imagination balls and these little crystal balls that were pretty cool looking and I would like to see in the uh, games. She uses Flaffy, Teddy Ursa, and Fanfy. And two of those things were uh, stuffed animals she had when she was in her bedroom, which I thought was a nice little callback. 
Also, this is the first time I noticed that her older self has unknown as earrings. Just the eyeballs, though. It's all, it's all the small details that are really important. Yeah, this this movie actually has a lot of nice little details to it. It was really thought out. Then we see Ash's mom going through the storybook and looking at different pictures and kind of feeling bad for Molly that she's an orphan now. And uh, while she's going through the, these pictures, we see one of the creepiest ones <laughs> in the movie. You, you posit that it's supposed to be an Entei? Yeah. Thinking it's supposed to be it, the bottom of the picture starts off as a flower field. Right. Then it goes to sort of like a beach mm-hmm. and an ocean. The top half of the picture is clouds in the sky, with this exceptionally creepy face in the middle. But just how the face is designed, it has certain markings towards the center of the nose and that. Mm-hmm. They're not colored any differently than the face, but I'm right. assuming it's supposed to be like Entei's red mask. Okay. But by itself, that picture is hella creepy kind of reminded me of the Angry Sun from Super Mario Brothers 3. It's, it's kind of like if you make the Teletubby Sun angry. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I, I don't even want to think about that. So, needless to say, Molly's dreamed-up Pokemon are better than Brock's real-life Pokemon. So, um, the next scene we see is that beach, basically. Yeah. From, yeah. The, from that picture. And Misty explains that she is a gym leader to Molly, because Molly just appears because she can do that and misty explains that she's a gym leader and molly's like oh you don't have to be an old person to to lead a gym so she changed back into a younger version of herself but not quite as no she doesn't turn all the way back into a regular molly right yet and then molly or i'm sorry misty says okay i'm a water trainer so i'm gonna use water pokemon and molly responds with okay i'll use water pokemon too because type matching battles like that aren't boring and I think Molly misunderstands what using water Pokemon means because she then tries to drown them. She creates this giant tidal wave. And then just floods that reality with water. Luckily, she understands how breathing works, though. So they don't immediately drown. You can breathe underwater. At least in that world, you can. Don't, don't try breathing water at home. It's right. It's not going to work. And the battle between Misty and Molly is a Kingdra versus a Goldeen. And a Mantine versus... What was the Pokemon she sent out? Staryu. Staryu. During this fight, though, Team Rocket swim by, and they decide to break the fourth wall, and Meowth asks Jessie if she thinks that they'll get a bigger part in the next film. The answer is no? Oh, no, I guess the answer is yes. But yeah, while Molly's distracted, Ash goes up more stairs, and finally gets to the bed- Molly's bedroom, uh, where he finds his mom... And he explains to her pretty much everything that's going on. It's the same exposition that everyone gets. Then, instead of just kind of sneaking out while Molly's still asleep, Ash's mom wakes her up and tries to explain to her everything that's going on. And that's what what happens when you try to take something away from a four-year-old. And she freaks out. She freaks out. And this part, something weird happens. When Molly freaks out and sends all the crystal shards out from her, there's an audio stinger that plays, and it sounds very similar to another thing. So I'm going to cut in the audio from the movie here. Okay, so that was the audio from the movie. And here is the introduction to Katy Perry's Dark Horse. Sounds exactly the same. (laughs) 
Ah, uh, you have far better ears than I do. Yeah, that that's just such a weird little thing. I mean, they sound exactly alike. I'm sure it's coincidence, but still. Yeah. Maybe Carrie Perry's just a really big Entei fan. After that, though, after um, Molly freaks out, fake Entei shows up <clears throat> and tries to uh, stop Ash's mom from go- getting out with her. Obviously, this pisses off Ash, so he wants to fight Entei. He sends out Totodile first, which is... Amazing for Ash, because, you know, he actually typecast, right? Yeah, but it doesn't really help, because Totodile instantly gets wrecked. So then he sends out Cyndaquil, which also does not fare very well. But Entei has yet to run away, so therefore you can easily tell it's not a real Entei. And Ash actually picks up on this and says, Hey, you're not the real Entei. At which point, Entei freaks out at him. Yes. Declaring that he is not an illusion. That's when Pikachu steps in, like he always does, and tries to fight Entei. And at this point, while that fight's going on, uh, Ash's mom kind of tries to talk some sense into Molly, but again, she's a four-year-old, so that doesn't really work. And Entei's beaten up on Pikachu, so Ash does what he always does when his Pikachu's getting attacked. He hugs it and tries to stop it from getting attacked, which pushes him out out a hole in the wall, and he starts falling but he is luckily saved by his trusty Charizard. Which was actually a big surprise to pretty much anyone watching this movie for the first time. Yeah, I mean, Charizard's obviously a popular character, and obviously in the trading card scene at this point, shiny Charizard was... or er, I'm sorry, holographic Charizard, Charizard was a, uh, a huge deal. So they had to shoehorn Charizard in there somewhere. But after that, Charizard and Entei have a fight, and... Ash, again, almost falls, but at this point, uh, Brock, Misty, and Team Rocket catch him before he actually falls out the door. It's the only actual useful thing Team Rocket does in this movie. Yep, this is the only time they interact, really, with each other, and it's the only thing Team Rocket does that's affecting anything. But they give their reasoning for it. Meowth tells them that if, if Ash were to die, they'd be out of show business, which is another fourth wall break. And Ash, at this point, tries to convince Molly, but um, she's four. Yeah. (laughs) Negotiating with a four-year-old is not working for them, and they don't seem to realize this. Yeah. And then Charizard and Entei fight some more, which goes on pretty long. It's a decent fight, but it does take up a chunk of time. Also, Entei is cheating quite a bit. Yes. He's creating his own platforms. Yeah, with the help of Molly and the crystal powers and... After that long-ass fight, uh, fake Entei, of course, beats Charizard because Molly's imagination is more powerful. But uh, after the fight, Entei steps on Charizard's neck and is about to blow his freaking head off. But Molly stops him, which was freaking creepy. Like, he was about to straight-up gangland execute Charizard. Uh I will end this, if I remember correctly, is the actual thing he says. Um, And then Molly kind of finally... Figures it out. She finally comes to terms with the fact that Entei isn't real and none of it is. But at this point, the unknown are unable to stop themselves. They start to overload and crystal shards start to jut out at random uh, spots. So they decide to, you know, go to the unknown chamber to stop them. And Ash does what he does best. Runs straight into a magical barrier created by unknown. Yep. The only move Ash knows is headbutt, and he uses it often. One day he'll learn, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, and Charizard tries his luck. He uh, uses Flamethrower 
to burn a hole in the magical barrier, which actually works, but for every action there's an equal, equal and opposite reaction, and he gets the crap beaten out of him. And then Pikachu tries to help, and they eventually do get kind of a hole going, but more crystal spikes show up to stop them. At this point, I think it's, I believe it's at this point, uh, Team Rocket try to scurry off, but they can't because they're being barred by spikes. Mm-hmm. And at this point, uh, Fake Entei blows a hole in the floor. In the ceiling. Well, yeah, the floor of, in his, in his <laughs> perspective. I, I, I found this part interesting, though, because Entei is trying to destroy the unknown, or at least stop them. But he's also a creation of the unknown. So yes. I thought that was pretty interesting that unknown could make true sentience, where they're no, uh, they're completely unable to control their creation at this point. It's kind of a Frankenstein thing. Yeah, I suppose it is, but I always saw it as more so they're giving Molly power, and Molly is using it to create Entei. Okay. So, so he's essentially an extension of her and not them. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, the other theory I had was that they were out of control and they knew it and they didn't they wanted the overload to stop so they were kind of trying to do that that's also a good theory but if if that was the case they would have been able to give Entei the power themselves instead of the fact that Entei needed Molly to believe in her him and uh, as the great Kamina once said don't believe in yourself believe in the Entei that believes in you (laughs) uh Mine is the fire blast that will pierce the unknown. Yes. And at this point, Molly at least acknowledges that Entei is Entei because she refers to him as such instead of Papa, Papa. which is, uh, is what she referred to him up to this point. And Entei eventually is able to stop the unknown, and they all go back through their portal in the Alf Ruins. All the crystal kind of goes away, and we get to see that uh, her dad kind of plops out of the unknown hole in the Alpha Ruins. Yeah, for whatever reason. Yeah, it's just kind of like, blip. Like, oh, we don't want the same word either. Get out yeah. of here. At this point, Oak shows up in a car driven by uh, Skylar. Molly sees a little Entei cloud, which is kind of a nice little tribute to... Uh, Lion King. Lion King, that's what it's called, yeah. Or Kim with the White Lion, if you want. And again, for the third time running... The movie ends with Team Rocket doing absolutely nothing. They kind of compare themselves to Molly and Entei. Jessie says that she's like Molly uh, because she's got a lot of spunk. And James calls himself handsome and ferocious like Entei. But no fourth wall breaking at the end this time. No. Unless you count the uh, Team Rockets fading out again, is what they say at the very end. But I don't really count that. It, it may or may not. That one's kind of... Yeah, it's up in the air. And then we get the the credit scene, which actually has importance. It actually has plot instead of the last movie where it was just like them walking or whatever. Yeah, I mean, well, there are a couple scenes like that where in this one. Oh but, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of filler scenes, because, but there are actual important scenes in the credits. Yeah. Molly meets up with her dad. Lisa says goodbye to Ash and the team, and uh, Brock doesn't want her to go, obviously, <laughs> because he's Brock. Then yeah, we see Molly playing with Teddy Ursa. And uh, Molly's mom shows up. Um, we don't get any explanation where she came from. Where did she go? Where did she came from? Molly's mom, Joe. But, uh... <laughs> yeah. And that's pretty much it. We And then we just get, like, the stereotypical walking during the 
during the sunset that Ash and Co. do all the time. And that's that's the movie. It was a lot better than I thought it was. Like, when we were talking about it earlier this week, I actually told you, and I took my own advice, to take a nap. Because I, <laughs> I felt this movie was horrendously boring when I was remembering it. But it was actually a lot more fun than I remembered. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised with this movie. I thought I was going to have to force some positivity. But it, it was really a lot better than I was expecting. So, you want to get into the worst and best? Alrighty then. You want to start with Pokemon? Sure. What was your favorite Pokemon for this movie? Uh, my favorite Pokemon? In the short, my favorite Pokemon was Hoppip. Just because I just like the Hoppip floating around. I don't know why. They just don't care. Yeah. I mean, I think it's kind of a running theme with uh, our favorite Pokemon from these films and shorts is that any Pokemon that's just chill regardless of the situation is going to be one of our favorites. Uh, the Hoppip here and a few Pokemon coming up <laughs> are just, they just all smiles no matter what's going on. Yeah, I, I really like the Hoppip too from that, that thing. They, they really didn't give a crap. As for our main feature, uh-huh. uh, my favorite is actually Turtle, but I have to give second call out to Chikorita just because I love Ash's Chikorita because it's adorable. Super affectionate. But also Turtle, he's also super chill and he likes to dance. Yeah, I got Turtle too because... Every time he comes out of his Pokeball, he's just dancing. He's so excited. Yeah, he's just happy to be be a part of something. So, yeah, I think Totodile was probably... He was in, like, three scenes for, like, five seconds total. And he was probably the, the highlight Pokemon. And if I have to give a, a secondary, like, a runner-up, I'd probably say the Shiny Knocked Out. Because I just think it's cool that they're actually acknowledging Shinies in the Pokemon universe. Because apparently that pink Butterfree doesn't count. Because Butterfrees in the game, shiny ones aren't pink. Which I think is a fucking tragedy. <laughs> uh, so what was your worst Pokemon? Honestly, I don't like fake Entei. I, so I, it's going to be like this, is it? Did you pick the same? I picked fake Entei. <laughs> because there are no legendaries in this movie. No, no. There's, they want you to think there's a legendary, but there's not. Yeah, Entei isn't real. And unknown don't count. Unknown aren't legendaries. So, yeah. I, that, that's the one thing that really pissed me off about that. I mean, he uses the moves that Entei uses. He has his special. But it's not real. And he goes away. Like, with Lugia, he was an actual legendary. He showed up. He had an effect. And Mewtwo was an actual legendary. Mewtwo was an actual legendary. Mew itself is a mythical Pokemon. It's really a tragedy that they used a fake Entei in this movie. It feels kind of... feels Cheap? Yeah, it feels... I feel cheated. So what was your favorite part? Uh, honestly, I also have kind of two for this as well. Okay. When I was little, my favorite part was definitely the showing up of Charizard. Because that yeah. that was really out of the blue. Like, mm -hmm. You figured that the cameo for Charizard was just, oh, okay, it's a little thing, you saw it. Right. You never actually expect him to be there to sa help save the day. Right. Uh, but one of the smaller things that I've noticed that I liked was with each progressive battle against Molly, mm -hmm. she got younger the closer you got to Ash's mom. Oh, yeah, I didn't know When that. they first encountered her, she was an adult mm -hmm. and Brock faced her. Then she was a mid-teen and faced off against Misty. Mm -hmm. And when finally Ash met up with his mom... It was back to regular just Molly. Ah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. My favorite part was specifically the the fight between Brock and 
uh, Molly, where she uses her Teddy Ursa and Fanfi, which were alluded to earlier as her stuffed animals. I thought that was a really nice touch. Like, that's something... Mm-hmm. And it, the, the best part about it is that it doesn't get shoved in your face. Like, yeah. they don't they don't acknowledge that fact. They just let you figure it out on your own. They're not shoving that fact down your throat. I thought that was really nice. So what was your worst part? Honestly, there's not many parts of this movie that aren't really good. I mean, there's yeah. a bit of filler. Yeah. I, I could just go the easy route and say the part that, you know, has Tracy in it. Yeah. Because the, the, Tracy. The one part where Tracy speaks. I don't even know what he says because I literally yelled, shut the fuck up, Tracy, as soon as he started talking. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I actually have no idea what he said there. Um, How about you? I, I was really hard-pressed to find a part that I really didn't like in this. So I would have to say the least favorite part was the second fight between Charizard and Entei. Because I felt that it went on a little too long. And that's not saying I didn't like it necessarily. It was a really good fight and I, I think it was really well animated actually. I, I like the real, the detail of Charizard. But I, I got a little bored partway through it. Because it was just like flamethrower versus hyper beam or whatever uh, Entei's actual special attack is. So what's your overall final rating from Pokeball to Master Ball? Honestly, I'm going to have to give it a great ball. Really? It was a good movie, Mm -hmm. and there wasn't really anything bad about it, but it just wasn't... It didn't have that certain thing that set over the top for me to give anything higher than that. Okay. And, of course, we all have to have a dissenting opinion. I went with Ultra Ball, because, honestly, I think it was the best of the three so far, because it was definitely better than the first one, by far. Um, in my eyes, and it was definitely better than uh, the second one. Even though I'm really mad about Entei, I think the plot didn't like slow down. There was nothing that was actually annoying about it. Like if if you don't think about the fact that Entei is a fake, I think there's really nothing to piss you off in this movie. Unlike the second one, where the the prophecy got repeated over and over again. And the first one where it was really ham-fisted about anti-violence and anti-racism. Which are all good good causes, but... Yeah, I, it's, I it's like one of those environmental movies where they just go over the top with their message. So, yeah, I, th- I think this is the best one of the of the three so far. Um, and that's, that's Pokemon the Movie 3, Secrets of the Unknown. Thanks for listening again. And uh, before we actually leave, I want to... Give a little disclaimer for next week. If you haven't seen that movie and you're thinking about it at all, if you're considering watching that movie at all, go see that movie before you listen to our podcast next week. Because there's a specific spoiler in that movie <laughs> that I really don't want to give away if you have any intention of seeing that movie. It's pretty important. I mean, most of Pokemon movies, they don't have anything to spoil because it's like, oh, Ash is going to win and save the day. It's kind of a given. There's no real drama there. But this isn't a, a necessarily a plot point. This is more kind of like a lore of the world kind yeah. of plot point. It's, it's a nice little touch. And it's probably one of the only things that I actually like about that movie. <laughs> um, spoilers on that. Um, so yeah, if you have any intention of seeing that movie at all. It's Celebi, Voice of the Forest, I think it is. It's the fourth Pokemon movie. Pokemon the movie, Forever. 
Forever, yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ, I can't wait till we get rid of that naming convention, which is in the fifth one, which is just Heroes. But, yeah, as I was saying, just see that movie first, please. Do yourself a favor and just at least watch that movie, because I don't want to spoil that for anyone who has any intention of seeing it. And if you want to reach us at all, you can email us at genzeropodcast at gmail.com. Uh, that's gen, the number zero, podcast, all one word, at, at gmail.com. Or you can get us on Twitter at Gen Zero Podcast, the same thing. But that's about it. I'm Sean. And I'm Doug. And thanks for watching. See you next week. Zero.